Welcome to the Genealogy Happy Hour, a place where new family historians can learn to document their family histories and celebrate their new discoveries. I'm Amy. And I'm Penny. And we're here to help you discover your family tree from the beginning. Welcome to episode 53. Today, Penny and I will be talking with Libby Copeland about her new book, The Lost Family, How DNA Testing is Upending Who We Are. And um, Of course, DNA is a very fast-growing segment of genealogical research, and uh, Penny and I both have done some DNA testing, um, but I think sometimes people rush into this new technology um, not always understanding uh, what the results are, and um, sometimes there are um, unintended consequences um, from those results. So this should be a very interesting discussion. But first, Penny, let's talk about the wine. Well, the wine we have for this month is a Vigno Verde, or Verde, as they say in Portugal. And it's been warm here in Tampa these past few days, so it's always nice to have a, a light, a lighter wine. This has it's a little fizzy. This is uh, called Faiso, F-A-I-S-A-O. It has a really pretty bird on the label. And the aromas are green apples, tart pears, and ocean freshness, which is lovely. And I'm really enjoying this one. Very good. All right, so let's um, get to our discussion with Libby Copeland. Welcome, Libby, to the Genealogy Happy Hour. Uh, your book, The Lost Family, discusses uh, the sometimes unintended consequences of the consumer DNA testing now being used um, very frequently in genealogy. Uh, both Penny and I have uh, tested our DNA, of course, um, and I will admit that when I got my results back, I quickly checked my matches to make sure all four of my grandparents' lines were represented um, in those matches, but um, some people are getting disappointing results. Some people are finding that they're not, they don't have the Native American um, ancestry that they thought they did, but for others, those DNA test results are literally um, life-changing that they're getting um, some surprises in those um, DNA results. And um, your book sort of uh, addresses that issue. And um, oftentimes people are left with a lot of questions and not knowing where to go get answers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was really interesting in exploring um, <clears throat> from a cultural perspective as well as on kind of a personal level um, how you know, finding out more about your ancestry and your family history can um, change your life, can enhance your life, can change your perspective. And particularly in instances where, um, you know, either some facet of your immediate family isn't what you expected, some facet of your own, um, you know, how you came to be, how you came into the world, or your um, understanding of your cultural history or ethnic history or ethnic ancestry. Um, all those things I was sort of interested in how, you um, being able to access this information can um, can really deepen people's understanding and also change their understanding of sort of where they came from. Right, absolutely. Uh, I know last year I read um, Danny Shapiro's book Inheritance when she talks about her story and her DNA testing and um, what happened to her and then how she addressed um, 
all of the questions and um, the results that, that came up, but um, there's a lot of issues dealing with privacy um, nowadays, as well as, you know, what happens when you get results that you weren't intending or weren't expecting, right. you know, my, my, my family's always been my family. And I think people who are doing the DNA testing, I mean, people do it for different reasons, but um, oftentimes it's because they do have that, um, what they, they, they feel is what they've been taught is a, <clears throat> a heritage that um, biologically may not actually be accurate. Right, exactly. And then there's this kind of reconciling yourself with the past. Um, and, you know, in, in the case of um, someone like Danny Shapiro, who um, I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying that she discovers very early on in the book that she's was um, conceived by sperm donation. Right. Um, a fact which she didn't know and she's unable to ask her parents, um, you know, questions that she would like answers to because they're not alive anymore. Um, and so in a case like that, and in many cases that I, um, that I explore in the book, you know, you're, you're not just kind of confronting, um, maybe something you weren't told about yourself. If you're the person about whom, um, a certain genetic facts were, you know, were kept back. You're also, um, looking at, a kind of a different culture, the culture of the past, right? 60 years ago, um, different, you know, we had different kind of rules um, and uh, social conduct around things like donor conception, around things like adoption, um, around things like, uh, you know, say a single mother raising a child on her own, um, things that now we have much more transparency around about. Um, and so, um, when, when people ask questions and they're like, why was I never told, um, what they're also asking is how much has it changed from when I was, you know, from when I came into the world and trying to wrap your head around, um, something being not told to you for decades when it seems like what now you could be told, but, but of course, you know, once upon a time, we, people didn't talk about things that they talk about now. So, um, it's really like a collision of the present and the past, uh, and so some of this is almost a historical reckoning with the way um, the way things were done in the past versus how they're done now. And that's that's really interesting to me. I, I kind of wanted to explore that as well. Um, Libby, in your book, which I thought, you know, for somebody who myself, I'm not a super science nerd. So I was you know, a little afraid of a lot of uh, DNA um, scientific talk. But. Your book, the way you weave the stories and the uh, scientific information is so readable and was so good. I just I read it in two days. I just loved it. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for saying that. I'm really, that means so much coming from, you know, uh, someone steeped in this and um, a an serious genealogist. So thank you. Oh, well, you're welcome. Um, I'm, I'm wondering... Uh, and I get the impression in your book from the stories that the people that you interviewed and the stories they tell, that they always seem to feel like it, no matter what the outcome was, it was a good thing to know. Is, yeah. Am I that right? Or? Yeah. So this there is an interesting phenomenon. You know, early on, before I started writing the book, <clears throat> I talked to the genetic genealogist, C.C. Moore. This was early in 2017. And she told me, I know this is going to sound strange, but over and over, the people that I've worked with um, have said that they're ultimately glad to know the truth, even when the truth is very painful. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. And she, of course, had worked with many, 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 many people. And so I, um, as I was 
researching for the book, I would continually ask people this question, you know, and it would vary depending on where in the process they were. Um, you know, sometimes early on, they did not express that feeling. But then after they had processed the news, it was almost universal that when people discovered a, a fact that like, had great bearing on their own genetic identity or their own way that they came into the world, their own parentage, um, even when the, the truth was very painful, like, for instance, you know, discovering that the man who raised you, who you're deeply bonded to, isn't genetically related to you. And maybe you're genetically related to somebody who doesn't want to have a relationship with you, which is can be very traumatic. Even in those instances, people would tell me that they were glad to know. But um, I'll also say that this is not necessarily true for the people being sought out. So if you're somebody, um, you know, you are that parent, for instance, who, um, you know, the man who who conceived a child didn't know it. 55 years ago, um, and or maybe you had an inkling, but um, you know now you're confronted with that um, through somebody who's messaging you through 23andMe messaging system and saying, "Hey, I'm your child." Um, those people are not always happy to know. In fact, those people um, sometimes delete their their tests and walk away. You know the way you might kind of walk away from a, a grenade because they. Um, you know, they always knew that this was, was something and they, that it, it was something that they knew about all this time that for whatever reasons they didn't want to um, tell their families about or it's something they didn't know about. But it's deeply disruptive to say their relationship with the child that they raised in their marriage or their relationship with their spouse. Yeah. So it is true that um, the majority of people who discover something about themselves are, are ultimately glad to know. Um, it's the people on the other side who are not always glad to be found. And that's sort of the tension that I found, which can be irresolvable. Uh, and it's one of the sort of central conundrums of the DNA testing age is how the interests of one person butt up against the interests of someone else, even though they're um, genetically you know, closely related, they're essentially strangers to one another. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes they can see their interests to be like in collision with one another. Yeah, you have a couple of really good examples um, in your book, that some stories. So you've got the one story about Alice that goes through the entire book, like a con con continuity through the book. And then you've got some other stories interspersed there along with all the um, scientific information. And the one story, and um, I don't have his name written down, about the one man who thought he was Italian and yeah, Rosario life as an Italian. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, for Rosario, um, you know, Rosario believes that he is Sicilian um, because that's what his mother tells him. And um, he clings to it because it's incredibly important to have an ethnic identity. And um, he discovers through DNA testing that, in fact, his story, which is a not um, uncommon American story is that he is something else and he's been um, he's been protected from that knowledge in a way his mother chose to not tell him as her way of protecting him um, so that he wouldn't face the discrimination that she faced um, and when he learns you know sort of the true ancestry his his true um, lineage um, he's both incredibly glad to know. And um, it's very painful also to 
to realize that, you know, a few things that he's invested um, in something that's not that's sort of ethereal. Right. He's invested in a cultural affiliation that, um, in fact, isn't really his to claim. Um, and also that, you know, that there's a lot of pain in his history, in his family's history, and that he now sees the world with different eyes. Um, and he has to kind of reconcile himself to the American history of discrimination. So, um, you know, that's a that's a kind of an interesting scenario that's it's not um, it's not a, the most common scenario. And the most common scenario is, you know, either discovering um, the most common kind of surprise that you can get from from DNA testing is, you know, finding that either you have a sibling or half sibling you didn't know about or that you, um, uh, you know, are the product of an NPE, which can be translated variously to non-paternity event or sometimes more commonly now not parent expected. Um, but there are cases like like Rosario's um, where um, certain groups have you know chosen to assimilate or to pass and DNA testing shows us that history and then you know cha really changes changes the lives of someone like Rosario who who now thinks of his place in the world in a completely new way. Right. I mean, I think that really you know when genealogy. Uh, we became very popular here in the United States. It was all about that, um, that uh, reaching back to Europe or reaching back to um, where your people came from and, and very much, you know, keeping us um, in our own little box, uh, our family's box. And now hmm. with the DNA and uh, like you were saying, you know, you're really, we're really having to um, rethink, um, you know, how we identify ourselves, how we identify with each other. Um, and um, with, you know, adoptions now being more open, where, you know, 50 years ago they were, you know, didn't talk about it, um, mm -hmm. you know, people weren't told that they were adopted. Um, so um, it's becoming, I mean, I guess maybe it's, it's a good thing for us to start talking about it and, and looking at how we identify ourselves and, um, how we can um, respect each other's um, needs um, while trying to answer those own questions uh, for ourselves. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the beauty of genealogy is that it makes the past personal, mm -hmm. right? So, right. Um, you know, have, history can seem incredibly abstract um, and, um, you know, Yet when you discover that it was your ancestor or your grandparent, your parent even, who went through something that, you know, you learned about in school, um, but you didn't really relate to on a personal level, I feel like that opens up people's hearts. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think that, you know, the stories that gave me the most hope when I was writing the book, that we could find a way to talk about these tensions in a way that um, will make things better for everyone, were the stories where people were sort of um, open-hearted when they could be in terms of their um, reconciliation with the past and with one another. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not always possible. Um, sometimes like one person's narrative disrupts another person's narrative, mm -hmm. if, if that makes sense. Like, you know, your, your story about something that my mother did before I was born, giving up a, a child on a, on a doorstep, um, is so painful to me in terms of what it tells me about my late mother that I, I simply can't believe that we're, that we're relatives. And so I'm going to choose to deny the science of the 23andMe prediction or the ancestry mm -hmm. prediction that says that we're half siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, it's certainly not for 
any of us to judge that response because man, what a, what a, um, traumatic and, and, and disruptive and painful thing for the person on the other side to learn. Um, and yet, uh, at the same time, um, you know, in those instances when people can, um, work their way around to it. Um, you know, you just, uh, some of those stories make me cry. Mm-hmm. I have to say they're so heartwarming about people, you know, coming together, having spent their lives apart and now they're together and it's a mother in her eighties and a child yeah. in their sixties. And you say, goodness, you know, their lives are so much richer. And I mean, the, the amazing thing about DNA testing is the way that, um, you know, the things that we learn through it and the under, our understanding of ourselves especially when it's um, a revelation of the kind that I'm writing about in the book, these are not things that go away after a year and you reconcile yourself to them and then you just like kind of move forward. You are processing them, as far as I can tell, for years and perhaps for the rest of your life. I mean, I, I talked to people who had DNA surprises, you know, going back to, say, 2010, 2012, you know, the early days of autosomal DNA testing, and they're still working these things out. That tells me that this may go on, be, be, uh, maybe a continual process, basically indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to think about is how, how, um, you know, how are these people going to be supported? Um, what, right. for instance, can the mental health community be doing to help support people going through these experiences? Right. Absolutely. And when, when they get those test results back, you're, you're alone in your home and, um, you know, you've got so many questions and, um, you know, intellectually and then emotionally too, that you have to process that it, it has to be life-changing forever. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like you see the proliferation of, of groups to support people on Facebook. Like there's so many of these groups and some of them are, you know, well over a hundred thousand people of, um, you know, people who've experienced NPEs. Um, foundlings, uh, adoptees seeking their genetic kin or seeking to understand the search, uh, you know, donor conceived, you know, all all these um, people who've been affected by DNA testing and what it can reveal or what it or what it how it can connect us to family. Um, You know, that for me, what's really interesting is that the primary support right now for people is through these Facebook groups, um, and not through, you know, anything more formal, you start to see it, a little bit. Um, you're starting to see organizations sh- crop up, a handful of them and a handful of psychologists specializing in this, but it's still really like at its very beginnings. Really? Do you think that the DNA, the, the companies when they started this, understood where this w- was going to lead? That's a really good question. I interviewed um, Bennett Greenspan, um, who's the founder of Family Tree DNA mm-hmm. um, down in Houston. And he actually, by the way, founded his company, or at least I should say sent out his first kits in April of, um, of 2000. So we're literally at the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. right now okay. of um, and DNA testing for mm-hmm. ancestry purposes. So mm-hmm. that's really an interesting little fact. Um, but he told me that he was doing um, like proof of concept testing in 1999 mm-hmm. and that he discovered a surprise even within that small cohort. So, um, yeah, I guess, I mean, yes, in a sense, they knew from the beginning because he, he witnessed that. Um, and then, you know, continually the companies do get phone calls and I'm sure they got them from the earliest days from people being like, what do these results mean? You know, this must be flawed. It's telling me I have a yeah. sister that I've never heard of. Right. Yeah. 
So yes, they, they, they must surely have known. And now they're at the point where they have special uh, customer service like staff to answer these questions. And they have um, like 23andMe has a special page for navigating unexpected relationships. And, and it recommends that you can reach out to, you know, online therapy apps and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, you know, it's not the majority of people, but it is a sizable minority. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that they have seen it as um, something that they deal with, but not, and they warn you about, but it's not their primary focus. Their primary focus is, you know, or has been at least um, for most of the companies, with the exception of 23andMe, you know, we're going to tell you more about your family history and your ancestry. And, um, you know, here's, here, you know, here's some cool stuff that can get you excited. And, and, in, and in fact, for the majority of people, that is, that is how it plays out. They, they do kind of have this cool factor, but it's kind of not um, something that, you know, radically changes how they think about things um, or poses, you know, poses a revelation in their immediate family that's, you know, totally upending their sense of selves. Do you see um, more and more people having their DNA um, tested or is it leveling off? Do you think it'll be... um, most of us in the future. Yeah. So, you know, you, I'm sure you've followed the news that there's been a slowdown in sales from the major companies, 23andMe and Ancestry. Um, and there's been a couple of explanations for that. One explanation, which I think is probably the primary reason, is that they've simply vacuumed up all the early adopters. They've they've sort of gotten all the low-hanging fruit, you know, the folks who um, are very interested in um, family history or, um, you know, or want to, or want to, and can afford to give this as a gift for the holidays. Um, and the others probably the other major concern, but I think maybe secondary to that is a privacy concern. I think, you know, there may be slower conversion rates for people who haven't already done this because there are questions about privacy. Um, possibly part of that is happening in the wake of the golden state killer case, but there are other privacy questions that people have around, you know, issues like, genetic discrimination and, um, and, you know, insurance and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you've seen is a pivot from ancestry and my heritage, uh, DNA to, um, to medical, you know, health related results and traits. And I think that's their, that's their effort to get more people. So I think that they will, right. I, I, you know, I think that it's going to continue to grow. I, we're somewhere around 35 million people in the databases right now. Um, and I think that, that when they pivot and and try to appeal to people's interest in traits and wellness, you'll see more growth there. It may not be as fast as a, of a rise because there are these questions about how this how how this information really does help you in your healthcare. Um, and I think that's a few years away from really being integrated into healthcare um, or you know something that your doctor can use to help you. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, I think, I think it can only go up. Um, and, uh, there could be a point in the future when the majority of us are, are, you know, have had our DNA, um, analyzed in some way. I know for, um, for me, the frustration is if you've had it tested with ancestry or 23andMe, I mean, you almost have to test with both because you can't upload your data to, one or the other, but you can take your data from Ancestry and upload it to, say, MyHeritage or GEDmatch and hope others have done the same thing to make matches. 
I guess that's a frustration um, just that you have to test with a variety of different places to try to maybe make the connections that you're looking for. And I'm guessing that the people that you've talked to, I mean, have they, have you noticed that they've made, have they had to test with a variety of places to find their answers? Yeah, so that's something that has changed. So yes, early on, um, someone like Cece Moore would tell people to fish in all three ponds or all four ponds, depending on the year. <clears throat> so it would have originally been, say, Ancestry, Family Tree DNA, and 23andMe. And then my heritage came on the scene um, with their DNA testing in 2016. And then she was telling people to fish in all four ponds. Mm-hmm. Um, more recently, she told me about maybe a year and a half ago that she had stopped telling people to do that because the Ancestry database was so large that they could simply test at Ancestry and often as not get a close enough cousin that they could unravel their, um, you know, their genetic family tree from there. So that's like the really interesting thing. I think it depends, you know, on your on your purposes. So if you're testing because you're, say, an adoptee looking for um, your birth parents, the identity of your birth parents, you might be able to get away with just testing and ancestry. But for a genealogist <clears throat> who you know wants to go really far back and any lead, any lead is worth pursuing because you're not just looking to answer one question, you're looking to answer many, many questions then I could definitely see how uh, testing in a lot of places makes sense. Um, And I've certainly talked to people who've tested in all four places and then even at other companies that don't exist anymore. (laughs) Right. And I myself, my DNA is in three, in three databases. So, um, you know, yes, there's definitely like the people who are like the heavy users and um, you know, you see, you see them show up over and over and they're in jet batch too. I like that, the heavy users, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be me. I I mean, I put mine anywhere, and I've been uh, doing, as our listeners know, a lot of uh, my French genealogy, and Genianet has also asked for everyone to upload their DNA there, and right in, I'm like, just stuck it in there, (laughs) just hoping to get a a French cousin match. Where is that that you said? Um, It's at Genianet. Genianet. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's definitely, um, you know, again, you know, I went into it, you know, knowing that, you know, I'm pretty sure what my results were going to get and, and, and the results I got were exactly what I had thought. But, um, and it doesn't really cross your mind at first that somebody might be getting information, uh, test results that, um, they weren't expecting so um and certainly for adoptees it's been um um, a way for them to uh, a a great resource for them um to at least um get some answers um but uh like you said libby sometimes um the person on the other side the person that they discover is biologically connected to them isn't as receptive and um you have to be able to um find a way to uh, reconcile that and, um, you know, be respectful also of um, the other person. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, I, um, I also um, didn't expect anything unexpected when I tested mm-hmm. and I didn't get anything unexpected when I tested. Mm-hmm. And, um, but what struck me when I was interviewing people was how, 
nobody expects anything unexpected, right? And the only difference is between us and the people who get something unexpected is that they got something unexpected. They didn't go in with an inkling of it. I mean, it's not to say that there aren't people who go in knowing they have a question. Um, you know, there are people who are looking for their genetic father. They know they don't know the identity and, um, they, uh, you know, are maybe an early adopter of this technology specifically because they're looking to find out. Um, but you know, the people, what, what's interesting about the kind of warnings that the companies give, you know, they'll, they'll say, you know, you may find out something unexpected about mm -hmm. your family, just, you know, know that going in, you know, you may, uh, this may alter your your sense of your place in the world. They, they give these warnings. Um, 23andMe does, Ancestry does. And, um, and yet, when I would talk to people who had tested, um, they were all just like me. They had not expected anything surprising. They, they knew the statistics in a vague way, like they knew that this happened, even if they didn't know how common it was. Um, and yet um, they didn't think that it would apply to them because you, you assume that you already know what there is to know about your family. And that's part of why um, it's such a kind of mind blowing experience because all of a sudden it's not just you rethinking your present, you're rethinking your past and you're going back you know, to age 10 and to age six. And that thing my mom said to me that one time now sticks out to me and makes yeah. sense. Like right. people tell yeah. me about this, like mm -hmm. reprocessing of the past. You're, yeah. you're, you're like excavating mm -hmm. everything that ever happened. You're remembering things that you'd forgotten that suddenly mm -hmm. take on a different meaning. Mm -hmm. So it's this really like wild experience to go through. And, and you went into it on a lark, perhaps a lot mm -hmm. of people say they went into it on a lark just for curiosity, just for fun. Mm -hmm. It's this classic sort of like low bar, low cost, um, uh, investment with a, you know, a massively, um, kind of monumental outcome. And that mismatch is part of what pe makes people so unprepared to handle it. It's not like there's a bioethicist who said to me, you know, it's not like when you go, when you do genetic testing for medical results, um, you know, to be worried, right? Like, you know, you're gonna, oh, I yeah. gotta find out if I'm, you know, at risk for early onset Alzheimer's, goodness, like I'm biting my nails. It's so scary. I don't even yeah. know if I want to know the answer to this. Right. Um, you don't know to be worried when you test into a tube. And like I've said, most people, you know, aren't going to find anything surprising, but there's a very sizable minority of people who will. And for them, they're not expecting it when they, when they spit into a tube. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you know, as a professional genealogist, I always incorporated some language into my um, agreement when I was doing research for someone. And you know, you know, do you want to know if I find anything of any illegal activities or anything taboo or you know any types of these things? Do you want to know or do you not want to know? And um, you know, the client always says, "Yeah, I want to know everything." And um, because sometimes there are those secrets, like you said, those things that that your mother, or your father said, or your grandmother said, and you want to know, you know. Well, I want to put that in, some, in better context. Um, and there was a, there was a couple of, of clients I had who we found, found some some things that um, they I think they suspected. Um, they didn't tell me up front, but um, and then I recommended you know ultimately DNA testing would give them um, a little better understanding of what the situation was. But um, you know those are people who are like you said already searching. Uh, 
for some answers and some clarity in their um, in their family. But for many people, like you said, it's just a lark. You know, oh yeah, yeah, I'm just gonna put my DNA in there, and um, yeah, many more surprises now. That's for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's it's interesting that that most of them want to know. Um, I, I I think that you almost can't. It's hard to say no to that question. <laughs> Right. If somebody says to you, like, if I find something really surprising, will you want to know it? It's like, yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's like really human nature to to want to know. And, and, you know, I think that's part of why people say that they're really glad to know. Like they look back and they're and they're kind of almost pained at the notion that they spent all those years of their life not knowing something germane to their own identity. Um, it's it's kind of torturous. Yeah. It's like how how it's like you were blind, and then all of a sudden, you know, you can see everything around you, and you're like, oh no, I I'm I'm, you know, okay, this is the truth of it, and um, and goodness, it's not what I expected, but I would rather see the world with with clear eyes. Um, there's a beautiful quote from Catherine St. Clair, who founded NPE Friends Fellowship, um, which is an organization for people who've experienced NPEs primarily through DNA testing. Um, and I'm probably going to mangle it. I know I'm mangling it, but it's something along the lines of, I would rather, um, know a difficult truth than a comfortable lie, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that puts it really well. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Libby, for, um, talking with us and it's been fascinating. It's, it's a fascinating book. Um, we'll have a link to it um, uh, called The Lost Family. We'll have a link to it on our um, website. What way, Penny? Yes, we will. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. I'm really thrilled to, um, you know, to get to talk to both of you. This is really, really an honor. So thank Libby, you. I've got one quick question. I'm yeah. just curious that since you've spent all this time immersed into the DNA world and whatnot, are you going to continue with any other project on this or are you moving on to something else? And um, I'm not sure. I'm, uh, it's a good question. I'm still sort of like writing about it. Um, I'm still thinking about it. Um, I've got a couple of op-eds that I'm doing. Um, so yeah, right now I'm still, I'm still, um, really thinking about it and talking to people and trying to think my way through sort of the deeper implications of, um, of how this is changing, how this is changing the family. Yeah. Well, keep going. Cause we, we really love your writing. It's so good. Great. discussion. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Great discussion. All right. Well, thanks Libby. And, um, have a good day. Okay. All right. You too. All right. Bye. We hope you enjoyed our discussion with Libby Copeland, the author of The Lost Family, and hope you can run out and get that book because you can learn so much about DNA and how it is affecting our world and society and individuals. It's absolutely fascinating. So until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Please email us with any questions or comments at genealogyhappyhour at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.genealogyhappyhour.com, for additional resources, books, and wines. Don't forget to drink responsibly. And never drink around genealogical documents.